theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaclia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. How are you? I'm really excited this morning. We were able to get two technologists from a local school district during the winter break. So we get to talk about what they have been able to provide as far as technology support during the pandemic. Yes, it's exciting to have in-service teachers. So we have totally taken advantage of their vacation time. It's just hard to imagine that we're still having these conversations about remote learning nine months later, right? And just a short story, I had a stint as a technology, instructional technologist when I was a provost. The day before the semester began, our instructional technologist took another position. And because I was a Blackboard super user, I automatically became the instructional technologist that day, added to my already loaded responsibility. So I am interested in talking to experts about how to really be an effective They've had yeah. pivot so quickly and provide so many, so many services and resources. I don't think it's a short-term conversation. I think that where you're seeing now how important the technology can play in our classrooms, it used to be just a, a bonus. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we try to implement these new tools, but it was layered on top of what we were already doing. Now it's a total shift in how we use technology. And I don't think that's going away. Yeah, so here's the silver lining to that. Our national accreditation body, sometimes we use them as the bully to get things that we want and things that need to happen to move us forward. But I see this pandemic as the big bully to get these us the technology that we need and the infrastructure that we need to catapult us to the next level. So there is a silver lining here. Well, let me introduce Kathy Seifert and Ted Bartnick. Kathy is working in a local school district and has been for 13 years. She taught sixth grade for eight years, middle school STEM for three years, and for the past two years has worked alongside Ted as a technology integration coordinator, and she's a Google certified trainer. Ted has worked in the New Lenox Park District, early education, and the marketing company that enrolled teachers in master's level programs for colleges and universities. And he's worked in educational technology ever since then. He started at our local school district. He worked there for a little over a year and then moved to the St. Anne District's 
to work as an instructional technology specialist for five years. He has come back to the local Creek Money School District to work alongside Kathy. So, and he provides baseball lessons on those other days. So let's welcome our guests today, Ted and Kathy. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Ted. How are you this morning? Very good. <laughs> Wonderful. You look amazing this morning. Now, you both have experience as classroom teachers before becoming instructional technologists, right? So, Kathy, I have a question for you. Can you explain to our listeners your role as an instructional technologist at your school? And then, Ted, I have a follow-up question for you. I want you to talk about the significance of your experience as a classroom teacher in your role as becoming later an instructional technologist. Ted and I collectively are responsible for nine schools and supporting all of the staff, all of the students with all things educational technology related. That includes a lot of professional development, a lot of working one-on-one with teachers, and also working with students as well. For us in a teaching background, when you, when you go into this type of position, I, I consider it almost as like a selling point. So I'm, I'm kind of a salesman when I'm trying to go in and get teachers to buy into what they're, they're trying to incorporate in their classrooms. And sometimes it's a really hard sell because a lot of the times tech ends up being a little bit more work. And I always say on the front end, it's difficult because it is a little time consuming to set up. But in the long run, it ends up being better for both students and staff usually. That's kind of where I look at it. Yes, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of buy-in now during COVID. Can you talk a little, Ted, about the significance of your experience as a classroom teacher, because you know what it's like to be a classroom teacher. How important was that prior to being an instructional technologist? I was actually just speaking with a teacher last night and she was concerned about going hybrid. I explained it basically on routines. So teaching is literally all about developing a routine. And when we went remote, it was an entirely new routine that they had to develop and figure out how to do. Comparing that to hybrid, it's the same concept. You're going to be teaching the same way you were before, but you're developing a new routine to be able to do that. Whenever I go in and use my past experiences, I always look at the routines and I look at how teachers go about their day and what they do. And then I focus on that and try and build in what I'm trying to get them to do into that routine. I find a need that is necessary. And then I I provide a solution for that need usually. Thinking back, pre-March 2020. You might want to talk a little bit about your role so you can talk to us about how that role has changed during the pandemic and how do you continue to support the instruction? So I think we were really fortunate, if you can consider yourself fortunate in a pandemic, because our district was developing our e-learning plan last school year. E-learning when there's a snow day and we can work from our computers, which is completely transformed now. We did a lot of work last school year to train teachers on how to conduct an e-learning day. So when this happened, our teachers had at least a good foundation to build off of. I mean, they've had to learn tons, tons, tons more technology things since then, but they had a really solid foundation from all the different trainings and things that we did. This year, we are working from home as opposed to spending time in the buildings with our teachers, but a lot of it is just 
email support, troubleshooting things, hopping on to meetings with teachers. It looks the same. It's just a different format that we're working remotely. And I think the one thing for us is that our position was created last year. I mean, this is our second year, year and a half, technically, into the position for both of us. And there was no instructional tech component that was actually in the district other than a small group of teachers that were working through it. So for us, when we started, it was brand new. And I think that helped us a lot because we even tried doing most of our trainings had face-to-face and we had a webinar that teachers could join well before the pandemic started. So we were already pushed in that direction and we were going that way and it just got escalated (laughs) from the pandemic for sure. Yes, yes. So you're definitely even more value added now. And I imagine your role has just become ultra essential in this transition from face-to-face to to virtual. And I'm sure, as you said, you already had a one-to-one technology in the classroom. So this is something that you all had already adopted. Those snow days gave you that kind of opportunity to practice e-learning. Didn't quite prepare us for all of this, but there was little mini practice. Talk more about how that one-to-one, being a one-to-one district, actually helped you in this transition to fully virtual instruction? Well, our 612 buildings, students have been one-to-one taking the devices home for two years now, Ted, is that correct? This is our second year, right when we started. (laughs) And we've, I mean, we're one-to-one at the elementary level, but prior to the pandemic, they did not take their devices home. Our secondary We're using the Chromebooks a lot um, in their instruction, elementary, not so much, but the students were at least familiar with them. I think that helps too. I don't know, Ted, if you want to add on to that. At the elementary level, we have a lot of paid subscription apps that they use daily. So the students were doing a lot of work on the Chromebooks well before the pandemic started, but it was never creation-based. It was never really like teacher assignment-based at the elementary level. And it was a little bit here and there. But when we started in our position, we actually started to see more implementation at the elementary level that wasn't those apps. So they're doing projects, they're doing video slideshows, they're doing all of the interesting and fun things that tech can bring to the classroom. And as soon as the pandemic started and teachers got to that routine, that exploded and students were creating and actually creating videos. And I mean, it was, it was awesome to see in my opinion. So you mentioned that the older students, they were doing one-to-one, the younger students, they had technology, but they weren't taking it home. Right. But they did have the technology to make that transition. Was there a grant? What made that possible? I know at my previous district, it was, we're going to do this. And then we found the funding usually through E-Rate, which is the biggest one that we would be able to get our tech funds from. But it was more of the superintendent was, we're going to do this. We're going to be ahead of the curve and we're going to go. Okay. So Um, the commitment was there first. Correct. And that was, in my experience, that's kind of how it has to go. You got to go top down. (laughs) I agree. Once you get the mindset there and the commitment to it, schools usually can find funds somewhere. And there's tons of tech grants that are out there, but E-Rate is typically the, the most widely used for us. Well, that's really important for our listeners to know. I also want to know, what have you learned about vulnerability in the infrastructure when you're going one-to-one and now in a massive way with the home technology, the e-learning, what are some things that you've learned? 
I think like my biggest takeaway is you're going to have issues working or teaching remotely, just like you would have in the classrooms. You know, do we have a kid acting up in the classroom? They're going to find ways to act out using technology too. So we've had to deal with things, students going into the wrong meet. Ted's big thing is monitoring the filter and the websites and making sure that our students can't access any websites that are inappropriate. And that's definitely a huge, huge task. And just passwords too. Students getting another student's password and and logging on as them and trying to teach them the significance of what they're doing. And that's, you know, that's wrong. And we want to steer them away from that. So Ted, what are some of those safety measures that you're taking? I mean, obviously the filter is the biggest one. And we switched to a new filter this year, which was kind of a bigger project to make sure that that was going. We continually have meetings in our tech department about password security and network security and those types of things. But in a remote setting, it, it completely changed all of that because nobody was in-house. The one thing I did want to talk about, though, was Kathy and I's position is kind of unique in our district, I would say. I'm actually in the tech department. So I'm hired as an instructional tech that is the back end of infrastructure to make sure things work. Kathy, I always say, is the face of the department. <laughs> so she's really good at getting information out and getting people to buy in. And our positions go completely together, but we tend to do sometimes different things at the same time. The infrastructure question, that could be a hour-long discussion. I don't know how much detail you want to go into that, but at St. Anne, it was the buy-in from the superintendent, and then it was our tech department developing our wireless network to make sure it could handle 350 devices on the network at the same time. So you do small tests, you do certain grade levels to start, and then once you have those grade levels one-to-one, then you work on it to go further from there. Infrastructure is the biggest issue that you're going to face when you go one-to-one. So I imagine it is with safety, just that not just the infrastructure of maintaining everything, but also those safeguards of keeping students safe and keeping them away from sites they shouldn't be looking at. And speaking of safety, more from a social emotional aspect, I'd like to hear from both of you about your opinions about cameras on and cameras off. Because when I think about cameras on and cameras off, I'm thinking about that impact of student learning. And I'm also thinking about the social emotional aspect, what we're missing when we don't see students' faces. I think it's it's hard for teachers if the students' cameras aren't on to make that connection. I think that we have to leave that choice up to the student because we don't know what's happening in their home environment. I mean, you could have families that have multiple children that are trying to remote learn and you know, just a lot happening in the background. So I think it's not a battle that teachers should fight and just the focus should be on making those connections with students, whether the camera's on or not. Yeah, my biggest thing is anytime you're on any kind of video meeting, you're being invited into that student's house into their classroom or into their room. Again, I'm on that side where it should be student choice for that. But at the same time, it is extremely difficult for a kindergarten, first grade teacher to gauge understanding if they can't see the student's face. Right. You know, I'm really on the fence with that. And I go back and forth and I get it. You don't want to invade privacy, 
because there's other things going on in the house. You may have other siblings, their parents are working from home. You don't know what their home environment is like. I'm really on the fence, but because I'm also concerned about, is the student depressed that day? How are they feeling? Am I able to read their expressions? So this past semester, I observed a student teacher. Teaching is about the impact of student learning. And with 75% of those cameras off, it's sometimes difficult to assess that impact. So I was like, oh, well, you earned a COVID A. (laughs) (laughs) We use Google Meet. And one of the features they released in the last couple of months is the option for users to blur their background or change their background. So I think that's helped a little bit, especially the younger kids. They love to change their background and have something goofy while they're in the Google Meet. So that's helpful that they have those options so that you can't see what's happening. in the That is helpful because I will normally, I will use my background on a bad day too. <laughs> I wish I could change my hairstyle. Some extra filters and Google has really tried really hard to try to keep up with some of those demands that people were asking for. So it also brings me to how has it increased maybe the relationship with parents? Has it helped? How much support do you provide to even your parents? I think parent support has increased just because a lot of our parents are around and they're seeing what class looks like every single day. I hear stories all the time of parent correcting their kid when they see them doing something they're not supposed to do. And, you know, if we were in a traditional setting, those things wouldn't be happening. We did a parent academy at the start of the school year, uh, just to go over things like Google Meet, Google Classroom, the big tools that our teachers use. And that was fairly well attended. We did it using YouTube Live. Um, And then it was recorded so they could watch it later. Along with our tech tips that we send out to our staff on Tuesdays, we also put out a tech tip to parents, just something quick. And usually it's Ted and I will check in and kind of talk about what was the hot item that we need to address. I think the other part of it is our tech department has a help desk phone number that anyone can call. So it's not just students that are making these phone calls. It's a lot of the times it's the parents going through. I've had experience where I had a a grandparent come in for a first grade student's Chromebook that wasn't working. And I got it in. I I actually trained the kid on how to sign in because the grandma was super confused about it. As soon as I got home, the kid wasn't able to do it. I literally went to the student's house and helped the grandma with it at that point. So, I mean, it's for me, it's the parents are always in a tough position with this because a lot of them are working. Or if it's the grandparents that aren't necessarily great with tech, being able to explain to them and talk to them and walk them through it in a calm manner, usually you can fix most issues. They're unfamiliar with it. So everybody's going to struggle in the beginning with it. You just have to be able to explain it in the right way and get the key details out. Well, you are alluding to this about what the pandemic has shown a light on as far as technology use and technology knowledge. Could you speak to that a little bit about technology use in the classroom or what the pandemic did shine a light on as far as how technology was being used? Maybe positive stories, negative stories. Well, I think the negative that everyone always brings up is screen time and how much time our students are spending and our teachers are spending in front of a screen. And I think, Ted, you mentioned this before. 
I, I think we're seeing a lot of really cool creation from our students that has been kind of forced upon us because of the pandemic. And our teachers too, some of the things that our teachers are creating. Um, we had two kindergarten teachers at one of the elementary school. They normally do a play and they would have the parents come in to watch the play and they did it virtually this year. So they recorded clips of themselves and had clips of the students and Ted actually helped them out piecing everything together. So just the creativity that has come out of this, I think is, is a really cool thing to see. And again, if we weren't in a pandemic, I don't know that some of these things would have been produced by our teachers. And I think it was kind of what I was talking about at the elementary level. It was those apps that they were using daily. So they were definitely using the Chromebooks. And then as soon as we closed down, teachers had to rework every assignment that they had and make it digital. That whole creation point from the teacher's aspect, it was a ton of work upfront. But if you ask them now, most of these assignments are super simple to do and the students are getting quite a bit out of it because it was done previously. So the work is on the front end of it and then it's pretty easy on the back end. The main difference I think is that there's learning taking place digitally, whereas before it was just skill work. So you log into an app or a website and it's teaching you reading or phonics or something very specific and it's very student only oriented. Whereas now it's collaboration-based where students are working in group projects at the same time on slides or presentations, or teachers are going into meetings with breakout rooms with individual students. So they have one-on-one -on -one conferences with those students. I mean, it's, it's amazing what has changed. And I think most of it is probably really good. Some of it obviously can be negative though. <laughs> hey, Ted, you just referenced the SAMR model. Remember that? Oh, yes. <laughs> Prior, prior to the pandemic, when we were training our teachers for e-learning, the big push was SAMR from our previous boss who's now retired. And the SAMR model is just basically using technology to transform lessons to be more higher level. And what we realized when we were doing those trainings is that a lot of our teachers were kind of stuck in the lower two levels where you know, the computer's just being used to type a paper instead of write it out. So I think, yeah, the pandemic has definitely brought us to the last two letters in the SAMR model. And it's great that we're talking about the bright side of things. You know, I really don't want this pandemic to go to waste without doing something great. I don't know when my greatness will come. I want to do something great <laughs> as a result. For something so negative and so challenging to occur that's outside of our control, I feel this huge need to make lemonade out of lemons. How do you think that the teachers are better as a result of this? And how are you personally better because of this? I think our teachers just have such a huge toolbox of technology tips coming out of this. And I think there are things that they will continue to use, but I also know everyone's kind of itching to get back to those face-to-face -face interactions, but just all the different tools our teachers have had to learn. We have five elementary schools in our district. And one thing I always hear is the third grade teachers at this school want to be able to talk to the third grade teachers at this school, but we've only got a certain number of institute days and it's not always possible. And, you know, I, I think, well, we've got Google Meet. So now these teachers can hop on a Google Meet and collaborate with each other and find out what's happening in a third grade classroom in another school. I think the, the biggest thing that I've noticed is that 
there's a mindset change, I guess. When, when I first started at Crete six years ago, it was always, we can't do that. It won't work here. Or teachers will never buy into that. And it happens at every district, but it's to varying levels. Since the pandemic started, teachers had to completely uproot and change everything they were doing. I think that mindset is now going to be there. I mean, I think the openness is going to continue. And I think it's going to allow us to actually implement a lot of different programs and a lot of different strategies, I guess, that is going to benefit staff and students. But yeah, the biggest thing is the mindset. Teachers are way more open to any new ideas, anything to make it easier and more effective when they're teaching. That's our goal. Kathy and I's job is literally to make teachers' jobs, lives easier. And most of the time, they don't realize that what we're doing will help them in the long run. But once they figure it out, we become their best friend and they come to us for just about everything. (laughs) You know, I think too, the pandemic has forced both Ted and I to interact with more teachers than we would in a traditional setting. Because previously, Ted kind of covered the elementary buildings and then I covered our 612 buildings. This has allowed me to virtually meet more teachers that I normally wouldn't see on a regular basis and connect with them. And yes, some of this was, I guess all of this was kind of forced upon our teachers, but some of those people that would maybe be a little bit resistant have had to dive in and they're doing a great job with it. You know, you mentioned communication with parents and how parents are right there. They can see what their child is doing. What about that relationship? Are there some things that have been put into place that you would like to continue see uh, happening in your district as far as with communication with parents? Parent-teacher conferences. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Parent-teacher, that's huge. Everything was virtual this year. We used Calendly, which is a awesome sign-up service that links with Google Calendar. So the teachers just pushed out a link and the parents got to pick from available time slots in it. We had 83, I'm sorry, 81% overall in the district attendance for parent-teacher conferences, which is amazing. We've never had that many parents attend. And I've actually heard from parents as well that loved it, that have kids at multiple buildings and how easy it was. And they were able to talk to more teachers than they normally would be. I think moving forward, that's going to be something that we consider doing again, just so that we can connect and reach as many families as possible. I literally had a conversation yesterday with that same second grade teacher. And she was, again, talking about hybrid and she brought up parent-teacher conferences. And I was like, that was amazing, wasn't it? She didn't say it was or wasn't before that. And she 100% agreed. She was able to talk to all of her parents. She was able to get actually individual one-on-one time with them to actually have those intimate conversations that you may need to have about the students. So this is all going to, education is never going to look the same from here on out. There's going to be major changes that are coming from this. I think parent-teacher conferences is just the tip of the iceberg for that. You mentioned a percentage of attendance. How would you say that compares with previous years at the high school level? I would say the high school level is probably 50% or below. When I left the classroom, I was teaching STEM at the middle school level. Conferences were always just so wacky for me as a specialist teacher because we were all seated in the gym and it was just first come first serve. So you're at a 
cafeteria table with other teachers. You've got a parent sitting in front of you. You could have parents waiting in line. So like Ted said, not a very intimate setting. You felt pressed for time. And I wouldn't get to see a lot of parents because they would want to see the math teacher or the reading teacher, not so much the specialist teacher that their child only has for one trimester. Yeah, looking at our our middle school and high school data, I mean, they were all solidly around 80%. And I was looking at the data this morning, and the one thing that stuck out to me was the percentage for parents of seniors was, I think, 81%. And I said, I thought, wow, that's great. You know, that's amazing. Their school career, and we have 81% of those parents engaged with our teachers. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that gives parents, you're seeing your students differently. You're seeing them as students. That's not something that we normally get to see our students as. We get to see them as our child, right? And we only have that perspective, but now we're able to see how they interact with the rest of the world, how they interact with their teachers and their classmates. I think that you're right. We've really caught on to something that we really should retain. And how do we retain pieces of that? And when I think about your job, as being instructional technologist is very much like being an education administrator where you can set your schedule for the day, but then something gets derailed, right? Because you have to respond to everything that comes your way. I mean, it's challenging during your normal year, but especially during COVID when we are all glued to our computers. You know, I know that my productivity and my screen time has increased significantly, which means I might need you at seven o'clock PM. (laughs) But my work has now become my hobby. And I'm afraid that I'm creating some bad habits, but I know that I'm creating some good habits too. And I don't think life will ever be the same, as you said, as a result. How is your schedule different as a result of COVID? And how are you maintaining your work-life balance? When this first began in March, I think Ted and I both were working round the clock. Our teachers had, I think, four days notice that we were moving to remote, and those four days were chaotic, and that continued for the next few months. Ted and I share this theory that we need to be available for the teachers. They need to be able to rely on us so that there's trust and there's buy-in. My new norm is that I check email before I go to bed and see if there's anything pressing that I need to respond to. And then also first thing in the morning before the teachers start their day with students. Ted and I laugh because it'll be five o'clock in the morning and I see his little green light on on Google Hangouts and I'm like, hey, what are you doing here? Oh, he's doing the same thing that I'm doing, responding to emails. So yeah, it's definitely a shift in the normal schedule. I do have to draw the line for myself sometimes and say, okay, the computer and the phone are going away and I'm going to step away from work and make dinner or you know do something around the house. I think that's important. That's one thing I learned from last school year that I was just burning the candle on both ends and not giving myself a break. And I was not my best self doing so. So knowing that you do have to step away at times, I think is really important. Yeah. My wife actually, she gets upset with me because I, I have this mentality where I have to provide some form of solution. And if I can't find it, I work feverishly to be able to find it. And she always like, cause I'll do it for hours to be able to try and find whatever the solution would be. But the one thing for me is like, when I first started at Crete, I always, like I said, I'm call it a salesman. So I go in and I'm, I'm going around and I'm trying to sell different ideas to teachers. 
as soon as the pandemic started, I became solutions. So teachers didn't have to come to me to get ideas. They needed help doing things. My workload went from average to insane amounts. And it was constant. For me, it was awesome because when I first started, I felt kind of underutilized because it was a new position. People didn't really know who I was. And I love doing things and I love helping people. So it was like eye-opening and exciting for me. And like Kathy said, you're burning the candle at both ends. And I was exhausted every night at nine o'clock and I'd get up at six and keep going. And But now everything has kind of slowed down a little bit. And you have peaks and valleys. So I'll have a day where I'm, I'm going eight or nine hours. And then there's some days where it's two or three hours. So I kind of look at it that way. And if a teacher needs my help at 930 at night, I most likely am going to respond because I had a slow day the day before. There's different mentalities to it, I guess. But if you You're work so in a- so valuable. When I think about the next Academy Awards, I think it should be all for tech people. The entire <laughs> Academy Awards <laughs> for, make, for making us- look good. <laughs> that is the goal. We are talking to Kathy Seifert and Ted Bartnick, technologists at our Crete Money School District, our neighboring partner district to Governor State University. Such fantastic information you're providing for us and your trials, the tribulations, but also the success stories. What are you seeing as far as the need for any curriculum changes or improvements that you and Ted would like to implement long-term? Digital citizenship. Oh, yeah, that's Ted's big push that we really need to hit that topic of digital citizenship really hard. And, I, you know, it's, it's important and the pandemic has really brought to light why we need to address that. You know, the other piece, and I work with Sarah Mockamer, who's our teaching and learning coordinator, is just seeing a lot of the different curriculum pieces that the district purchases and where they stand with technology. Because a lot of them have had to try and keep up now that we're in this remote learning situation. So that's kind of, kind of interesting to see. For me, it's more digital literacy. So like, students' capabilities of actually using devices for educational reasons. Most students can pick up a tablet or a smartphone and they can do whatever they want on it and they're perfectly fine. But as soon as they get on a Chromebook, they don't know where letters are if they're kindergartners or first grade. They don't know how to type. We asked our students to go remote and our K-2 students didn't know how to technically use the device the way that they needed to to be able to complete the work. Along with digital citizenship, I feel like Keyboarding and device usage and all of that stuff is definitely necessary and we're going to need to do it. That way we can actually have students complete the work that we're asking them to do. The, the digital citizenship part for me is, is one of the biggest ones. I mean, we have students that are logging into other students' accounts. They're compromised passwords. They, they don't understand the implications of what they're doing because they've never really been taught that. I mean, it's a big topic everyone hears hacking or hacker when they play video games there's definitely laws against it and there's there's repercussions for those actions but the students don't know that for me it's more of educate the students make them understand what a good user is and then usually better things will come out of that and they'll get better usage out of the device i agree i went into the semester thinking that students were much much better at using technology because you see 
that that's their life. There's technology in their hands 24 hours a day. But there is a huge difference in using that technology responsibly and using it for learning. I have a final question. One of the things I've heard through this hour multiple times is Ted and I, Kathy and I, Ted and I, Kathy and I. So one of the things that I've learned today is collaboration. That's my big key takeaway today. But you guys mentioned something earlier about tech tips. And I like that. Can you talk more about how this got implemented? What are some of the best tips that you could offer to our listeners? This started last year when Ted and I began in our role and we were trying to come up with a catchy name for it. And I said, well, your name is Ted. So we could do Ted Tech Talks. Copyright infringement. Definitely not. (laughs) I like it. We settled on uh, Tech Tip Tuesday. Our goal is just to keep them brief. I usually do a video because people I think are more likely to watch a video than read an email. And my favorite is an oldie, but a goodie. It's muting emails in Gmail. So if you get those chain emails where everyone is hitting reply all, you can actually mute that email. So all those responses won't come to your inbox. And again, since we're working remotely, there's a lot of email correspondence happening I actually had one of our middle school administrators right before break ask me for that video because he wanted to send it to students because he's like, the kids are getting tired of this too. Before the pandemic, we were doing lunch and learns and we were doing afternoons and evening classes and all that stuff. Our buy-in wasn't that large for that. And it was, again, because it was a new position and we just had to get the reasons why we were trying to be there. We weren't trying to make them have more work. We were trying to make their work easier. The tech tip email style, we get tons of responses from it. And sometimes it's unrelated to the tip that we sent out. It's almost like you open a line of communication and then the the teacher sees it and they're like, oh, well, I can ask Kathy about this. And then we get that avenue or that pathway open and then the buy-in happens. All you got to do is provide that one thing that is going to make their life easier and then they'll come back to you. Then you can keep working. (laughs) I love what you're saying about keeping those lines of communication open. And that's our goal too on this podcast. It's been wonderful having you here today. Thank you so much for spending part of your break with us. I know it's probably not much of a break. There are always those to-dos that pile on to the list for whenever we have a few days off from school. But thank you for spending your morning with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for, thank having, you for having us. It was fun. It was. <laughs> thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning, Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.